0: Well, not strictly his fault, but she and Jake had been saving for a place together, and she'd agreed to give up her overpriced studio flat so that they could buy somewhere quicker and be together. But Kate forgot all these things, and bit hard into Jake's shoulder, and let bygones be bygones, until Mirabelle Moncur walked in and ruined everything. Kate Disney, she demanded without so much as a knock on the door or a polite cough to announce herself first. Jake, who was submerged somewhere in the vicinity of Kate's left breast at that moment, completely lost his stride and practically gave himself whiplash as he turned to see who was behind him. Kate gave a cry of pain as Jake crushed her right leg. Who the bloody hell are you? Jake asked the intruder, as he ungraciously wrestled the sheet from Kate's grasp to cover himself up. Kate suddenly remembered why he was her ex, apart from the fact that he dumped her. He always put himself first. He was completely self-absorbed, not to mention, she noticed in the late afternoon sunlight, streaming in through the shed window, a bit on the fat side. Oh, you don't need to cover up? At the foot of Kate's bed stood a strikingly attractive woman, possibly in her late fifties, with disheveled blonde hair, the sort of cheekbones that hold a beauty together no matter how far south her face gravitates, and deep green eyes that at this moment in time were locked on Jake's crotch. You have absolutely nothing to hide. And with that, she glanced the tip of her Gitane cigarette with a lighter and raised an unimpressed eyebrow. Jake turned beet red and looked uncomfortable. Yes, uh, who the bloody hell are you? Kate demanded as she reached for an old nightdress that was lying on the floor to cover herself with, and clambered from her bed. I Mirabel mon coeur, the woman said, in a French accent as thick as nightclub smoke as she looked around the shed. Do you actually live here? I'm sorry, do I know you? Kate demanded crossly, knowing full well that she didn't though there was something familiar about Mirabel Moncoeur. I want you to come and work for me, the woman said, and watched unabashed while Jake stumbled into his boxer shorts, one leg at a time. Kate had never seen him so ruffled. Well, you could have knocked first, he muttered under his breath. Look, I don't know who you are or how you got in, but this is actually a private residence, and if you want me to work for you, then you'll have to make an appointment and come back. Mirabelle sniffed the air in a way that told Kate that she didn't believe this to be a residence of any sort, let alone a private one worth knocking at. She walked over to where a few of Kate's canvases were stacked up against the wall, and began glancing through them. These are your paintings? Yes, And as I've said, you can make an appointment to come back later and see them. But right now, as you can probably see, I'm busy. They're a little old-fashioned, but I suppose you'll do, the woman said. I want you to paint Bebe for me. He's very beautiful, so I suppose it'll be easy to do, even for someone like you. Who the hell is Bebe? Jake asked. Not, Kate noticed, leaping to defend her work which he'd never complained about when it was funding his cigarette habit, paying for recording studio time and keeping him in whiskey, and the cashmere socks he absolutely had to wear, or his feet got too hot, for the past three years. Bebe is my pussy. He arrives tomorrow morning from Mozambique, and you can begin work in the afternoon, Mirabel Moncure filled in. Jake looked staggered. Right. Well... I'm sure we can discuss my old-fashioned paintings later, and whether I'm prepared to paint your pussy. But for now, would you mind leaving me and my... Kate always hesitated to call Jake her boyfriend, even before they'd split up, lest he get nervous and feel like she was trying to tie him down and put him under pressure. She turned to look at the man who was sitting on the corner of her bed, waiting for her to deal with their intruder, so that he could get on with the birthday treat. My friend alone. I'll come back later if you prefer," Mirabel Moncure said, as she dropped a glowing cigarette butt on top of a yellow canister of fertilizer with a skull and crossbones on the lid. There's nothing worth hanging around here for. She looked at Jake with a sneer and walked out the door, without closing it behind her, leaving Kate to pick up the burning gitan or risk being blown up. Who Earth was she, Kate asked, as she went to the window and watched the woman disappear down the garden path. Mirabel Moncur, rings a bell, Jake said. Now, sweetheart, cute as you look in that little nightie, I prefer you without it. You do, Kate laughed girlishly, and went in a pair of old sneakers to Jake's side. He pulled the white cotton slip over her head and began to kiss her stomach. mm mm-hmm, he said. I'd forgotten what a great body you had. Kate smiled inside and ran her hands through Jake's hair. She, in her turn, forgot how ungracious he'd been with the sheet when that weird woman had barged through the door. Amnesia was a requirement with Jake as a boyfriend. If you remembered all the bad stuff... You'd have to wonder what had happened to your mind, because you certainly weren't in possession of it. Kate chose to concentrate on her body instead, and how good it was feeling right now. Chapter Two Kate made her way toward the enormous rambling house at the end of the garden path. If you followed it from the shed, past the cherry trees and over the patio you landed at Leonard's back door. Leonard, as his name might suggest to even the most obtuse of strangers, was a raving queen. He was also Kate's boss, who owned both the house and the shed. Leonard was one of the smoothest, kindest, and most successful antique stealers in London, and Kate was widely regarded, well, at least by the London Evening Standard, as one of the best young painters of animals in the country. And as Leonard had at least a hundred clients with animals whose whiskers and wet noses and tabby stripes they wanted to preserve for posterity, Leonard and Kate had teamed up to become a match made in heaven, or at least Primrose Hill. Kate had known Leonard since she was five years old, when her father and he had been friends and business acquaintances. Harry Disney had been a taxidermist. Where Kate painted live animals, Harry stuffed dead ones. He'd been one of the last practitioners of this dying art. No pun intended, he used to cheerfully say as often as possible when asked about his unusual line of work, and their home was always filled with stuffed Pekinese and Manx cats and the usual parade of pets taken on commission to pay for the school fees. There was also a sideline of distinctly uncommon creatures that, when Kate was growing up, were as familiar to her as coffee-tables and porcelain shepherdesses were to other children. These included Ernest, the eleven-foot-long crocodile, who greeted guests in the hallway of their Georgian townhouse, Cecilia, the wild boar, named after Harry's mother-in-law, who occupied a seat by the window of their drawing-room, not to mention a brown bear at the foot of the stairs, a penguin on the mantelpiece, and an ever-rotating zoo of zebras on the landing— stoats on armchairs, and bison on the top floor, which had officially been Harry's workshop, before it ceased to be big enough to accommodate more wildlife than the Serengeti plain. It was this exposure to fur at such a young age that helped fuel Kate's passion for animals, both living and dead. And with her first packet of color crayons, she drew yellow squiggles of otters and scrawls of earnest, which would mature into the vast, vivid canvases that now hung in smart private collections in country houses and old ladies' bedrooms. One had even put in an appearance at an exhibition at the Royal Academy last winter, all of which made Kate Disney a fairly successful artist at the age of twenty-eight. She, however, saw things rather differently. She thought her work was pedestrian, uninspired, and dull. She believed that anyone could capture a likeness of an animal. The real challenge which she never attempted for fear of failure were portraits of people. So, whenever she was fated by Leonard, or her clients for miraculously conveying the haughtiness of a pony, or the curmudgeonly nature of a Yorkshire terrier, she simply thought it nonsense. People projected what they wanted.